As we open this week's show, please join Bishop Rose and host Kyle Hyman as they pray the Regina Chaley, or the Queen of Heaven, a hymn to the Blessed Mother that's usually prayed during this special Easter season. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Queen of Heaven, rejoice. Alleluia. The Son whom you merited to bear. Alleluia. Has risen as he said. Alleluia. Pray for us to God. Alleluia. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary. Alleluia. For the Lord has truly risen. Alleluia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. The recent fire at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris seems to have renewed an interest in religious art and architecture. So, that's the focus of this week's episode of Truth and Charity. Here Bishop Rhodes explain the purpose of religious art, how it should go beyond function, and cause us to think about the eternal and help us lift our hearts up to the Lord. Then Bishop offers his definition of beauty and how there's a revival of classical church architecture that's centered right here in the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend. Then he'll walk us through the history and evolution of church art and architecture, starting with the second century, going through the Middle Ages, the Renaissance period, and finally today's more abstract modernist design. If you have a question you'd like Bishop to answer, go to RedeemerRadio.com AskBishop or download the free Redeemer Radio app onto your smartphone or tablet and select Ask Your Questions. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good Bishop. Thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to share a little bit with us today. You're welcome, Kyle. Good to be here again. With the, the fire that happened at the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, it seems to have created a discussion or at least reinvigorated a discussion about art in the church, about architecture, about its importance. And it seems like even people that aren't religious had a respect for this church, this cathedral, and recognized its beauty and saw something in it that they were devastated that a portion of it was destroyed. Thought maybe we could just dedicate this whole episode to the idea of art in our church, in our faith and the role that it plays. And there's been so much written about it. Uh, in fact, with regards to the fire, Cardinal DiNardo, the Archbishop of Galveston, Houston Diocese said, and also the president of the USCCB said, noble in architecture and art. It has long been a symbol of the transcendent human spirit, as well as our longing for God. Any thoughts on that statement to start with? Oh, I like that. Um, I mean, when you look at the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris, uh, I was there, I, I visited there twice, but many, many years ago, I was a seminarian. I mean, a great, beautiful Gothic cathedral. The architecture is amazing, and also the art, the rose windows, for mm -hmm. example, um, and other paintings and that that were in the cathedral. The cardinal said it has long been a symbol of the transcendent human spirit, as well as our longing for God. I think that's true. Gothic cathedrals and Gothic churches 
when you walk in, just the, 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 just the architecture, how everything points up, the verticality, it, it just lifts your spirit to God. It kind of, um, and that's, that's really what good church architecture should do. It should be beautiful. It should have a transcendence. It should kind of have us thinking about eternal things. And sadly, <laughs> I would say the modernist art of the last uh, several decades and some of our churches, they just don't have that. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't even feel that sacredness. Whereas when you walk into a cathedral like Notre Dame, yeah, it's a sacred place. And therefore, I think architecture and art, I mean, you could, I guess, put architecture under the broader category of art, but there's sculpture, there's paintings. We can speak of music as an art. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, when we talk about architecture and art, the Catholic Church has been, you know, traditionally the great patron of the arts. So many of the great masterpieces were artists who painted for or sculpted or built for the church. And their patrons were popes and bishops who uh, provided the funding, etc. So we have such a, a great heritage. I think um, it's important that we not only respect that heritage uh, and appreciate it, but that we continue it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm so glad to see there's kind of a revival going on in classical church architecture. And I'd say the center of the revival is right here in our diocese, hmm. the school of architecture at the university of Notre Dame. Yeah. They're really at the forefront of this revival of, of good classical architecture because there's always been a continuity when you think I, we can go back over the history a little bit that mm -hmm. might be helpful sure. for listeners but it, it's been like a there's been a continuity through the centuries different forms but building one upon the other and there's certain principles that have been part of our tradition when it comes to architecture uh -huh. Similarly in art, but I want to focus a little bit more on architecture right now. We can talk a little bit more about paintings and sculptures too. Yeah. But the whole idea is to communicate this transcendence and beauty and eternal things. Heaven, you know, um, the beauty of God and the beauty of, of his kingdom. Pope John Paul II wrote a letter to artists back in 1999. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Pope Benedict, he would he had a meeting with artists in the Sistine Chapel back in 2009. It was beautiful. So I think we really need um, renewed appreciation, but also we need Catholics, artists, or architects who, animated by their faith, are going to work in this field. Yeah. So that's those who are students of the School of Architecture at Notre Dame, this is what they're being taught. And I am really, really grateful. Might be helpful if anyone's interested in reading about this, the professor that I know the best at uh, the School of Architecture at Notre Dame is Duncan Stroik, mm -hmm. who's a parishioner at St. Matthew Cathedral in South Bend. He wrote a book that is really excellent, the kind of I, I agree with totally. It's called The Church Building as a Sacred Place. Huh. And the subtitle is Beauty, Transcendence, and the Eternal. 
So if anyone wants to read about this, again, it's the church building as a sacred place, beauty, transcendence, and the eternal. Hmm. I don't think there's any architect in the United States in the past decade or more who's done more to promote what we could call traditional architecture for our Catholic churches. Some of the churches that he's worked on uh, really are, 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 are so beautiful. So I recommend that. And then there's a second book that I, I highly recommend, and it's by a, an architect named Dennis McNamara. And the title of the book is Catholic Church Architecture and the Spirit of the Liturgy. Catholic Church Architecture and the Spirit of the Liturgy. So both of these books are kind of like my favorites. So when we're having a project for building a church, a new church in our diocese, uh-huh. or renovating or restoring a present one, I always try to use these principles that I read in these two books. And one of the questions I always ask, of course, we have to ask how much is it going to cost and all that, <laughs> but that shouldn't be the first yeah. question. The first question should be, or the first question I ask or I say is, will it be beautiful? Hmm. In other words, is beauty what you're looking to create? Yeah. Because, you know, it's not just functionalism. Obviously, a church is a place for the celebration of the sacred liturgy. Mm-hmm. But it's not just a place where you can have mass it should be a place because you can have mass anywhere it should be a place where when you go to mass where you celebrate the sacraments that the architecture and the art lift up your heart Mm -hmm. to the lord i mean we say that at mass the lord be with you and with your spirit lift up your hearts we lift them up to the lord Mm -hmm. let us give thanks to the lord our god it is right and just well i think the church building should help us in that it's it's that it should be a house of god domus dei so those are some i guess initial thoughts on this on this topic um but we might want to look a little bit at the history if that's a good if you'd be interested in that or yeah i'd love to hear more about the history one question is when you ask will it be beautiful how do you measure that how do you say because I think some people would say that it's objective. Some people might say it's subjective. How do you know when something's beautiful? What, what determines that? Yeah. Well, I, I guess that's a good question. Um, I'm trying to think of how I would define beauty. Because, you know, some people say, well, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. Right. Um, if we're honest, if you walk into the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris, uh-huh. You're going to be awestruck. You're going to say, wow, this this really lifts up my spirit. You have a sense of, you just, you know, you stare up at the ceilings. You you gaze at the rose windows. I mean, there are things that, that just captivate one's mind and has one kind of thinking of, of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say those are characteristics of beauty. I think the colors that are used, all of that, just being amazed at the, the, uh, I mean, the beauty of, of, the, of the objects that are used, mm-hmm. the marble or like the stained glass. In some cases, it could be w- carved wood, whatever. 
I just wouldn't see that in some of the more mo- what I'd call modernist churches, which are just usually devoid, actually, mm-hmm. of these kinds of, of uh, artworks because they're usually extremely plain. Uh-huh. But also, even in the architecture, you don't see, for example, in some of these more modernist, I mean, some of the stuff is very abstract, for one thing, but even the the architecture itself, it doesn't show order. Like mm-hmm. if you go into a Gothic church or a Romanesque church or a Baroque church, there's an order to it. It's not like chaos. There's a solidity to it. The altar is beautiful. It's not just like a block, a, 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 like you see in a modernist church where it could just be like a square block right in the front i mean how can someone say that's beautiful yeah you know i've i'm not an artist so i'm not an expert in this area i'm just speaking as i think someone who who appreciates good art um i think i learned when i was a student in rome i mean i I just visited all those churches and even throughout europe that just you know you just loved visiting them you wanted to make visits because you wanted to go in and pray in those places where you were so uplifted by the art and the architecture, the altar, the the tabernacle, just how everything, the, the materials that are used, all of that, uh, that are durable and mm-hmm. lasting. Um, I mean, you walk into the Sistine Chapel and you look at the frescoes by Michelangelo, the last judgment on the wall or you look up at the ceiling at the story of creation, you just gaze. You're, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's so beautiful. And that's, you know, Renaissance art. Even here in our own diocese, I mean, I'll get in trouble if I start to uh, criticize mar- modernist church architecture, but because it really was a rupture in my mind. There was a development, a continuity when you move from let's say the early basilicas to the bigger Romanesque churches and then Gothic churches and Baroque churches. So there's different types of art and architecture. They all look different in the sense that they stood out in the community. Mm-hmm. You know, these were, you walk by even, even on the exterior, not just on the interior. Right. Um, but then with some of the more recent churches, they don't look much different from maybe a some kind of hall mm-hmm. or a store or whatever. Right. I mean, you know what I mean? They don't have even externally things like a bell tower and you know things that would mark a church or or the the kind of um, exterior that uh, you see in the more traditional church architects or uh, church buildings mm-hmm. where there are pediments on the outside and there's arches and things like that. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to hear more about the history and then maybe have you share some of your favorite pieces of arts. So that will be coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, and we've been talking about Catholic art, art history, and specifically you've been talking about architecture, Bishop, and you mentioned a little bit about the the history of the architecture of our Catholic churches, cathedrals, basilicas. Obviously, we have some amazing pieces of architecture in our church, and as you mentioned, especially recently, uh, maybe a, a divergence of that and, and maybe not as much of a respect for having a 
building that lifts our hearts to God, but instead is just purely functional and it's missing out on some of that, the form maybe that, that uh, some of these great cathedral, our cathedrals here in the diocese, of course, being a great example as well. Can you talk a little bit about the history of architecture within our Catholic churches? Yeah. I, you know, when you talk about architecture, really there was no church buildings until Christianity became legal. So, Mm -hmm. but before that there was Christian art. So I think that's significant okay. because, you know, the Eucharist would have been celebrated in people's homes, the house churches, they would call them. But but we do have Christian art that goes back uh, really to the beginning of the second century. And if you go to Rome, for example, and if you get to go under the excavations of St. Peter's, for example, and some other places, old tombs, sarcophagi, and they will have the oldest Christian sculptures. Or if you go into the catacombs, you'll see some of these sculptures. But not only sculptures, you'll see some paintings on the walls of the catacombs. In some of the rooms, there'd be surviving frescoes going back to the third century, second, third, fourth century. There'd be symbols, for example, early Christian symbols like the dove Mm -hmm. or the fish, the fish being a symbol for Christ. Right the lamb, the cross. So these symbols that are so common to us, the good shepherd, you'll see frescoes of the good shepherd um, in those first couple centuries. And they would even adapt some, the early Christians, some motifs of the the Roman culture that they Christianized, like a symbol of the peacock or grapevines, et cetera. Hmm. Um, But anyhow, it's very interesting to see this. Now, when Christianity became legal, when they were allowed to have public worship uh, because of the Edict of Milan in the fourth century, that's when we started seeing, you know, actual church buildings where people were allowed, the Christians were allowed to build edifices for worship. And they chose basically as kind of a model for large churches was a style of Roman public buildings called basilicas. So be where they would have a basilica in, uh, before Christian churches. It'd be where like justice and administration would take place. So they were secular buildings. Notice they didn't take over from like the 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 architecture that was used in these pagan temples. Instead, okay. they chose what was used for secular buildings, this basilica style, huh. which had as were familiar with a a large central nave and then they would have side aisles and at the front they would have an apse a rounded apse at one end of the building in the apse they'd have a raised it would be elevated and that's where the altar was Mm -hmm. and that's where the bishop's chair was the cathedra and then some early altars were constructed of wood but very quickly they would use stone and they start to design, richly design them, and started using richer materials. So you see, if you go to Ravenna, Italy, if you're interested in this, that's a great place to visit, the 5th century basilicas in Ravenna. And uh, and even Santa Maria Maggiore, St. Mary Major in Rome, we have 5th century mosaics. So they started uh-huh. using mosaics and uh, the beautiful colors where there'd be depictions of Christ or other scenes from the the scriptures. And then, you know, with Constantinople, 
soon after became the capital of the empire. So you see that as pretty much an uh, artistic center for the Eastern Roman Empire. So we see basilicas or ch and churches built under the Emperor Constantine and then his son, Constantius II, like Hagia Sophia, which you can go still see today in Istanbul. Uh -huh. The Byzantine Empire reached levels of beautiful art and architecture. And then you had, you know, continuing also in the West. I mentioned Rome, I mentioned Vienna. So beauty, they started being beautiful. Okay, so you have these mosaics, you have these beautiful basilicas, you had beautiful altars, you started seeing sculptures. But there was a crisis in the church in the eighth century that really shook the empire. And it's called iconoclasm. Okay. You've probably heard of it. Yeah. It's when they interpreted the second commandment of the Decalogue to forbid graven images led to this crisis where there were those who wanted to destroy any religious images. And that's actually what happened. They went yeah. around destroying uh, icons and, and everything. With that problem of iconoclasm, the church had to intervene the bishops themselves because there were many christians catholics who were taken in by this iconoclast philosophy who felt that we have to destroy any depictions of jesus any depiction of saints they would say that's idolatry so there was a famous saint at that time named john damascene he wrote in defense of sacred art and how through icons of christ we contemplate his bodily form, his miracles, his sufferings were sanctified. So he was defending icons. Now, not saying that we worship them, no, but we venerate them. And that's what the Second Council of Nicaea met, because this was a huge, huge problem. And it met in the year 787 and condemned iconoclasm mm. and upheld the veneration of icons and religious art. So anyhow, I think that's an important thing because after that, then we see, you know, further developments. Uh, imagine if the iconoclast had won. I mean, we wouldn't have all the beautiful art that we have. Right. And uh, so we have this doctrine now on sacred images that we can venerate sacred images. We have this um, condemnation really of iconoclasm. So after that, we kind of move into the Middle Ages. And in the early Middle Ages, we see, for example, a lot of illuminated manuscripts. If you go to some of the museums or some of the churches, you can see, especially in monasteries, where they would decorate the books of the scriptures as they would write. They would also have beautiful art of different biblical figures and beautiful colors, and also uh, of the Liturgy of the Hours, the Psalter. So that's a, one part of our tradition, is this um, the manuscripts, the Gospel book, for example. I don't know if you've ever been to Ireland, but the Book of Kells, that's a very famous example. Other Gospel books that would have like ivory covers that were beautiful as well. And then we move into the Romanesque period where you have church buildings getting larger, increase in height and size, vaulted roofs, mm -hmm. thick stone walls, massive pillars, rounded arches. I mean, these were great, these beautiful Romanesque buildings. And inside, they would paint frescoes 
of Jesus, Mary, the saints, whatever, carvings in stone. Um, you go to a church and at the main entrance, for example, they would often have like Christ in majesty in a mm. sculpture. So when you visit some of these churches or cathedrals that are well-preserved, you can kind of see, and, and the capitals of the columns, they would have carvings of figurative scenes and things uh -huh. like that. I mentioned Ravenna, but you know you can go to Southern France, Italy, Spain, you'll see some of these, Cologne, Germany. Oftentimes in these Romanesque churches on the Western Wall, they'd have a large wall painting of the Last Judgment. And in the dome of the apse, they would have Christ in majesty. One of my favorite mosaics are at St. Mary Major, and that's there on the triumphal arch and in the apse. And then you have, from Romanesque, you have the development of the Gothic. So you have Notre Dame in mm -hmm. Paris. Actually, there's an older church in Paris, the Basilica of St. Denis, Saint-Denis. That was really the first major building in the Gothic style. So huh. that's a little bit different than the Romanesque. Well, quite a bit different, I guess, but it's kind of an evolution because now you start having these uh, pointed arches. They're much higher. They'd be, walls would be supported by flying buttresses. So you would have really the architecture then was really soaring. So you have Chartres, for example. I mean, these were amazing buildings. In Gothic art at the same time, you'd see an increase of, of um portrayals of the Blessed Virgin Mary, because Marian devotion was growing at that time in the Middle Ages. Also, the whole idea of the Old Testament and the New Testament, where Gothic art would often show how a, an event in the Old Testament had a certain meaning, but then in the New Testament, there's a scene that um, kind of fulfills that scene. Like, you might have the sacrifice of Isaac, but then you'd have mm -hmm. the sacrifice of Christ. Sure. Or you might have the Red Sea, and then you'd have something else with baptism, you know, so okay. that, uh, so then you have these different artists in, in the West during the this Middle Ages who brought more realism. You had the more stylized Byzantine style art that you see in icons, but then it became more realistic and more natural humanity in the arts. So you have artists like Giotto, if you ever go to Assisi, you can see his frescoes in the Basilica of St. Francis, you have Fra Angelico. So I love that. I love those early um, Gothic painters. So you have the sculpture, the paintings it became more realistic. Then you'd have sculptures, like eventually you have Michelangelo. Well, that's more Renaissance, but the Pietà. Mm -hmm. So you see now these this development of, of sculptures, all of this more emphasizing kind of the realistic humanism. So you'd have scenes of human suffering. Um, Renaissance, as I mentioned, then kind of followed, and that kind of brought back some of the classical art and architecture. The heart of the early Renaissance was in Florence, Italy, so you have some, some great artists there. I mentioned Michelangelo and uh, beautiful paintings like of the, by Raphael uh, in the high Renaissance, Leonardo da Vinci. So this kind of showed more Renaissance humanism. And these were artists who worked really for the Pope for much of their careers. Of course, we had the Protestant Reformation, and there was a certain, there were some destruction of Catholic art during that time. Kind of, there were periods of iconoclasm among some of the Protestants that didn't want any religious statues or images. And after the period of the Renaissance, we have, well, the Council of Trent, 
and then we had the the Counter-Reformation, and at that point you have the Baroque. So you have great artists like Caravaggio and Caracci and others. Baroque uh, was kind of a response to the Reformation. It spread across Catholic Europe, even to the Americas. If you go down and see some of the mission churches or even in California, you'll see Baroque art in the altars. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Baroque, it's, it's more, again, they would have biblical stories etc but there'd be a lot of um like angels cherubs swirling cloud uh, clouds all that kind of stuff following the baroque was rococo which was more flamboyant and you see that i remember seeing a lot of uh rococo style in bavaria and then in the 19th and 20th centuries you had some neo-gothic return to the gothic and architecture if you were following the Notre Dame fire, the spire that that uh, ignited and, and burned down, that was really done, I think, in the 19th century by a, an architect, Violette Leduc, in France. So that was during this neo-Gothic period. But we see a lot of these kind of neo-Gothic churches in the United States. Hmm. If you look at a lot of the 19th century churches, I remember my home parish, my home parish church which was built in the 19th century, was a neo-Gothic. And we see neo-Gothic architecture here in our own diocese and some of the churches from the 19th century and even early 20th century. You look at a church like um, St. Adalbert's or in, in South Bend or even you know the Basilica at Notre Dame. It's kind of a French Gothic style or even the cathedral in Fort Wayne, the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. Mm-hmm. But then later in the 20th century, we have more of the abstract modernist style of art where they kind of rejected these traditional forms and basically became much more utilitarian, pure functionalism, uh-huh. bare minimum. If it comes to any kind of decoration or anything, it would be bare minimum. And I won't even mention some of those churches, but if you've ever, well, I'll mention one. If you've ever been to Liverpool in England, I have friends in England, uh, the Cathedral of Christ the King in Liverpool, that's modernist. Okay. Um, and uh, it really doesn't do anything for me, some of those churches. But yeah. anyhow, I think uh, that's kind of just an overview, very sketchy overview. Um, but I hope our students in our Catholic schools, I was thinking about this, learn about the history of, of Catholic art because it's contributed so much to, to civilization. Well, and it seems like a, a roller coaster of appreciation of art and rejection of art and then appreciation of art and rejection of art over time. And so interesting to hear about that. And I would like to talk a little bit more about the idea of financing good art and then maybe get some of your highlights from either within the diocese or throughout the world as well. A reminder, people can ask questions by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we'll continue our conversation about religious art here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. We've been talking about Catholic art, specifically, you talked a lot about architecture and the history of that. And one of the things that you mentioned early on was more important than the question of can we afford it is, will it be beautiful? And a lot of times those two questions are at odds with each other because beautiful art 
tends to be more expensive. Beautiful architecture tends to be more expensive. And so how do we balance that? And how do we maybe justify some of the costs of making big, beautiful churches and creating good art in our churches? I ask myself that question too, Kyle. You know, we've had some new churches. If you look at St. Pius X in Granger, mm -hmm. I think that's the most beautiful new church in our diocese. And um, it's a Romanesque style architecture, traditional, beautiful art inside. I think the architecture and the art are both beautiful. Mm -hmm. The materials used, the marble, the, the mosaics, I mean, it really is... Um, I'm so proud of that church. You walk in and you know it's a house of God. Mm. You know it's a sacred place. Yeah, so they were able to raise the money. I know that's our, uh, one of our largest parishes. They had the financial means to do it, but people were very generous. But this is what I would like to think or ask. When you look at some of the most beautiful churches in our diocese, they were built in parishes for poor immigrants. Right. How did they have the money to do that? Or back in the Middle Ages. You know what the difference was, I think, honestly, is the faith was at the center of their lives. Hmm. So they made incredible sacrifices to build those churches. The churches were part of their daily life. And yet Catholics in the United States or in the West in general are wealthier than ever mm -hmm. uh, Christians in general. I think it has to do with level of commitment on one hand. Also, sometimes when those churches were built, they were not able, they didn't have the funds at the time to do more than just the building itself. And then it was years upon years that they started adding things. Mm -hmm. When they could afford it, then they had stained glass. When they could afford it, they got beautiful stations of the cross. Right. When they could afford it, they had other art put in. I think we want to have everything right away. Uh -huh. Well, maybe if we can't afford all everything at once, maybe just do it gradually. I mean, we have a, a very pretty new chapel, traditional architecture uh, for the University of St. Francis. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have much artistic decoration inside yet because they didn't have the money. Mm -hmm. But the intent is, when they have the money, then they will put in stained glass, then they will add frescoes, I think, or mosaics, I forget. So I think we could look at that. I don't think we have to have all the money. You know, it could be used, and then as money comes, you could do more things. I mean, when you look at those great medieval cathedrals, they were built in sometimes like 100 years. Right. You know, it wasn't yeah. like they did it within a year or two. Yeah. It was like 100 years. So I think we have to look at all those things. But I don't think we should lower our architectural standards. I really don't. I think, or our artistic standards. I think we should expect more of our church buildings. I'm not saying that we go overboard. I mean, we can't do what we can't afford, but we need sacrifices. We need to, you know, everyone needs to make sacrifices if they believe the church building is is really central to their life and their community. Then our people need to make those sacrifices. At the same time, I mean, I realize we have to stay within budget. As bishop, I, I don't want to 
parish to go into big debt mm -hmm. because of building a church when they can't afford it. So you have to look at all of that. Um, built a very beautiful church in Albion last a year or two ago, Blessed Sacrament, a new church, mm -hmm. because where they had been worshiping had been a part of a supermarket. I mean, it, it wasn't really a, a place that was beautiful, but they wanted a real church and they used kind of a Spanish design, traditional kind of architecture. It wasn't elaborate, but it's still beautiful. I mean, it has a noble simplicity about it. And um, Our Lady of Guadalupe in Warsaw, that was built maybe, what, shortly, be, I don't think, a couple years, I think, before I became bishop here. They just, in the last year or two, were able to afford to put stained glass windows in. Uh -huh. And they're really beautiful. They're very pretty. They were done by a local artist, but they didn't have the money at the beginning to have those. So those are just some ideas. Um, I go around our diocese, you know, certainly the Basilica of the Sacred Heart, at the University of Notre Dame, I, I would say is the most beautiful church of our diocese. I love the Gothic, the French Gothic. I love the the windows, the the ceilings. They're soaring. The tabernacle is is outstanding. Oh my goodness, the paintings. I love the painting of the death of Saint Joseph that they have. I always walk when I walk under that. I look up. It's so beautiful. The apse. I mean, it's traditional shape the cathedral of the immaculate conception in fort wayne the stained glass windows the gothic architecture it's, it soars high it's vertical the verticality the wood carvings and the, the sculptures of the stations of the cross i mean i just love to pray those at the mm. cathedral of the immaculate conception you know another beautiful feature we have a romanesque church in in mishawaka saint uh Monica's that has a baldacchino uh -huh. over the altar, which was very traditional, where they that would be a way that architects would highlight what should be the center, really, mm -hmm. the focal point of every Catholic church should be the altar. Yeah. So they would build baldacchinos. And we I think we have a couple churches that have baldacchinos, but St. Monica's come comes to mind right away. I know I'm leaving a lot of churches out. There are a lot of beautiful churches. And they're not all like in the cities. We have some of our rural, more rural parishes that have are really beautiful. I think of St. Uh, Michael's in Waterloo. Mm -hmm. I think of St. Michael's in Plymouth. They're very beautiful. Uh, the stained glass, I, I just love going in some of those churches. Do you have any favorites? That... Well, so many of them. And I, I like how different, it's, it's funny how we don't have cookie cutter churches. You know, that you can walk into any Catholic church in our diocese and it's going to offer you different art, different things to look at, different things to contemplate, a different way of reflecting that this is a sacred space. And we don't just say like, uh, here's five to pick from, build your church. This is what it's going to look like. Mm -hmm. And so we get a lot of variety there. Uh, but coming up, I'd like to ask the objection of why spend all this money on a church whenever we should be giving it to the poor? See what your thoughts are on that. If you have any questions, text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we've got more coming up here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, and we've been having such a great discussion on religious art and specifically this is kind of really only been focusing mostly on architecture uh there's so many more avenues that we can go to maybe this will be different ways that we can go in the future but with all this talk about 
religious art, and especially with architecture, just because it's such a, a big investment, a lot of people would say, why is the Catholic Church spending so much money on these big buildings, on all of this art? Why don't you sell all of that and you can give it to the poor if that's what your mission is and that's what Jesus charged you to do? It's a, yeah, and I have, I have heard that. Um, first of all, we're building something which is a gift of praise to God. And it's also a home for all, mm -hmm. including the poor. You know, I have to laugh a little bit because when I was uh, a pastor, it was the poorest uh, parish in the diocese. And uh, one of the things that the, the poor, those who were really struggling, loved was coming into church to see the beauty hmm. and to spend time there. So I always think when I hear that criticism, but the, the poor love this, you know, so it's their home. It's, it should be, it's the home of the whole, of everyone in the parish. Yeah. So I don't see that dichotomy, really. I don't think there should be wasteful spending. But I mean, when you think of all the other things that we're building, what's more important than having uh, a beautiful church that is a home for all, including the poor? Mm -hmm. That's just my experience. Uh, you know, that's why I don't like the idea of having to close churches in poor neighborhoods mm -hmm. um, because often they're like the anchor of the community. I know in some places it's just impossible to keep churches open, but I think we should do all we can to keep churches open in, in our poor neighborhoods as well. So I guess I would say the churches belong to everyone. They're, they are to be a home for everyone, in, including the poor. And I've been to cathedrals and basilicas throughout the United States and in Europe, and never once was I charged admission to go in right. and to see that. And so, like you said, it is available for everyone. And mentioning the closing of parishes, any thoughts or update on St. Andrew's Parish? Well, we have uh, given that, as I think I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned it on Redeemer Radio, ownership to a, uh, a nonprofit corporation that is going to allow its continued use for the poor sisters of St. Clara cloister nuns there, but they are uh, assuming it as a doing the repairs that we couldn't afford to do. Yeah. Otherwise we wouldn't, we would have had to tear it down. So when they came forward and made this offer, it was one way to, to preserve this building in a poor neighborhood. And so I haven't heard if they've begun some of the repairs yet, but I know the contract's been signed and, um, you know, so that's kind of really, it was like a, a gift from heaven. Really? Hmm. Yeah. We had another, uh, parish that really wasn't able to sustain itself financially with St. Stanislaus in, in South Bend and had a beautiful church uh -huh. in a poor neighborhood that now is, is the parish for the Latin mass community, which has right. a lot of young families and, and they have the financial means to keep that building up. So I was really happy about that. So I try to find creative solutions uh, so we don't have to sell or tear down these church buildings. Now, I know there's some dioceses that have had so many that it was impossible, but I, you know, for them to, to keep all of them because they just, you know, but we've been able to keep most of it. I think there have only been a few parishes that have been closed or churches torn down in our diocese uh, before I got here. All right. Well, I 
think we just scratched the surface on this. There's so much more to talk about, but maybe we'll have to save it for the future. But for now, could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. We are approaching our 100th episode of Truth and Charity. And to celebrate, we'd like to know what some of your favorite moments are. Tell us by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Instead of typing a question, just write your favorite moment in the box, and your clip may be played on our special 100th episode airing in July. Or send a text to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. In the meantime, if you have a question for Bishop Rhodes to answer on a future episode, submit it on the Redeemer Radio app or on the website. You can choose to stay anonymous or you can share your name and parish. You'll get an email letting you know your question has been received, and then a second email letting you know when your question will be answered. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.